Good evening and welcome back. Welcome back to Trans. Oh, come on, stop it. Stop. Stop cheering. Welcome back to Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. This is Brian in Buffalo, New York, US of A. And with me, as always, is Lauren from Swansea. And I would like, just as it's a happy welcoming back episode from um, the fact that we got distracted by real life. Um, I really would like to start the episode by saying congratulations to Jeremy King and his family. Yes. You want to explain that? Uh, just, uh, you know. There is, there is going to be a new member to Rad Chad's video club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, what that was, Brian, but it was a choice. Yeah, that was the that was just the the the, the angels singing. Um, but we're back. We've been gone for a few weeks, Lauren. And congratulations to Jeremy. He'll uh, he'll be on the show soon, you know. Ah, see, I know you've been planning things for October, but I don't know. Oh what. yeah, because you know what October is. Spooky season. Ooh. Spooky shows. <laughs> Um, so I think Brian's got a new app on his phone, people. Um, what are you talking know. about? <laughs> so, yeah, it's been it's been a while. Um, it, n- not intentionally a while. It's just um, in all honesty, now that COVID has left us and everything has gone back to normal. We are finding it very difficult to pin down people and be like, please come on our show. Yeah, we got some lined up. I got a few shows coming up, and uh, tonight's show is going to be so much fun because everybody who listens to the show knows my love of independent and micro-budget horror films. Yes. And I managed to track down a true legend of the genre, uh, Mr. Jeff Kirkendall, star of over 70 films, director of like 20 movies, producer, editor, all-around great guy, um, in a lot of the Polonia brothers pictures, a lot of, uh, independent films. So he's going to be coming out. We're going to have a good time with him, but we haven't spoken in a couple of weeks. Well, we haven't spoken on the air in a couple of weeks, Lauren. No. <laughs> no. So I figured you missed my jokes. No, no, I, I've been good without the jokes. Thanks. Well, can I tell you one? You're going to anyway, whether I say yes or no. So I'm just going to let it happen. Okay. So, hey, Lauren. Yes. What did the grape say when someone stepped on him? I don't know, Brian. Nothing. He just he just let out a little whine. Uh-huh. Get it? <laughs> little whine grape. You're going to get sued for using that track too much. You know, you can't understand my jokes i think i think there's something wrong with the x i think i'm gonna have to translate him to welsh so let me try this lauren how does do you understand this one that's racist <laughs> that is racist yeah well like you don't have sheep there but we do have sheep yeah lots of them but then like i will tell you we shag them you eat them that's right hell yeah they're tasty Especially when they're tenderized after a good shagging. <laughs> All right. Time to get serious because we haven't been on in a while. 
I do want to thank everybody who's written to us on our Facebook page and in our emails and different social media apps, making sure we're okay. Just sometimes, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. I don't know. Yes, it does. And honestly, since, you know, since everything's come, you know, this is the been the first, like, even last year, I don't remember being asthmatic. I think, you know, we were still very much coming out of lockdown. And this year, the pace of life has definitely sped up. Oh, yeah. And uh, it, it's funny. I um, remember when we used to have five, six shows in the in the wings waiting to come out. And it's not that we can't get guests. I mean, I have people who are responding that are waiting to come on. It's just us finding the time to do it. Yeah. I mean, we're, we, we're all so busy, but we got some great October shows coming up for spooky season. And uh, got some stuff planned for right after that. Um, we're going to have another Beatles show. Um Remember, we did that great show on Beatles history. We got another one coming up because our great friend, Dr. Ken Womack, has a new book out on the Beatles. And he's going to come on in November. And a uh, bunch of other people. Anyway, Lauren, what you got for me today? How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, yeah. Um, not much. Well, it's just work, really, isn't it? It is, um, you know, plus I, I've been down lately. I don't know if it's, uh, the changing of the seasons or the weather, but I've been just like, you know, kind of miserable lately. Um, I mean, just last night, you know, Sarah was telling me, you cheer up, cheer up. It could be worse. What do you mean? She says, you, you, you could be stuck underground in a hole full of water or something. And, and, and I, I know she means well. Oh, see, the audience was delayed on that laugh, too. Do you get it, Lord? Yeah. She means well, yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. How are the cats? The cats are fantastic. Um, they had a vet appointment the other day. And uh, they went together, and ever since they went to the vet appointment, guess what happened? They like each other. They've bonded more. They never bonded, really, because, you know, Cleo doesn't like Billy so much. But uh, ever since they went to the vet together and they were in that room together, they've bonded a little better. In fact, I just sent you something, a message, Lauren. They they did something to the vet, didn't they? No, they were just in there together. But if you look at your phone, you'll see something I just sent you. I bet uh, they peed on the vet, and she was like, yeah, that's my cat. Nope. No, uh, they were both actually very well behaved in the vet. Um, Cleo hates the vet. Cleo hides. Uh, She likes to jump on the counter and hide behind the vet's computer. Billy, on the other hand, was all out there going, come on, check me out. Where's that thermometer that goes up my little butt? <laughs> but uh, do you see what I sent you? Not yet. Of course not yet. Oh, uh, but no, they they something. Oh, that is so cute. Ah. Uh... Yeah, for the first time they slept cuddling. They haven't since, but you know what are you gonna do? But here's this. Ready for this, Lauren? 
Cleo is 11 pounds. Oh, my. Billy is 13 pounds. Billy outweighs his big sister. Well, he is a boy. Yeah, but he's only a baby. Well, he's a year old now. But you remember how teeny he was? He's a big fat ass now. Hmm. That's what I'm calling him now. Big fat ass Billy. Don't give him a complex. Big fatty boom boom Billy, I call him. You give him a complex. Yeah. But uh, no, he's actually bigger than his big sister now. And uh, I think that's cool. And they cuddled together. Um, do you know they don't stick thermometers up the cat's asses anymore at the vet? I never, never saw them do that. Well, they always did. That's how you get a th- temperature. Yes. Now they have one that goes in the ear. But but our vet would always, you know, make us leave the room. Oh, No. No, our vets here are like, you guys want to see something cool? And they get out the KY jelly and the rubber gloves. And I'm like, no, but they don't do that anymore. They, uh, they have the, it's like, it's like, remember the COVID ones where you'd have to go into like buildings and they'd check your ear with the little thing. That's what they do with cats now. It's pretty cool. Oh. Yeah. No, no more, no more things up the tuchus. But, uh, yeah. Um, but it was, it was, it's been an interesting couple weeks. Uh, the cats went to the vet. I've been working a ton. My my niece got her first job. And her first boyfriend. Uh, yeah, well, she still says it's not her boyfriend, but you know what that means? It's not her boyfriend. Uh, maybe, maybe not. But uh, I sent you her picture from the Sabres thing we went to. You can't believe yeah. how old she's getting, can you? No, she is. She's growing up fast. Yeah. Um, Makes me feel old. You've got to believe them when they say that's not my girlfriend or that's not my boyfriend. I don't have to believe anything. You can't tell me what to believe. Uh, Corey has gone because we don't have um, like the, as many schools in between high school um, here in the UK. So he has now gone to our version of high school. He's only 11. Yeah, see, that's not high school here. Uh, high school for us is, uh, I think, 15. 15, you start high school here. Because there's junior high, grade school. You got that, like, you know, freaky system. And then you go for, like, exams and shit and decide if you're going to be a, a carpenter or a college person, right? Um, We have um we have primary school. And then that's divided up into infants and juniors. And then you have nursery before that. So in Wales... Um, you start school on a part-time basis at three, then um, you, and then when you're four or five, you start full-time. Then you leave primary school in year six, which is when you're 11, and then you go to secondary or comprehensive school. And then um, <clears throat> you stay there until you're 16, and then you can either go to a sixth form college or you can stay in the sixth form in school. Some schools don't have a sixth form, though. See, that's too complicated. We have K through 12. You're in first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade. You see, I can count. Twelfth grade. Then you go to college if you want. 
We're Americans. Uh, we do it the right way. So no, um, well, the thing is, 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 is what they found here is that with colleges, you don't just do like academic subjects as well. You do vocational subjects, so you can learn to become an electrician, a hairdresser, um, you know, an, a, a nail technician. Uh, um, you can start doing access courses to get onto midwifery courses or nursing courses. So it's not just doing exams at the end of it. You do have that option where you can do something that's more vocational. <clears throat> Which, you know, that's something I think the U.S. should do more of, more vocational stuff. But we don't. Um, we, yeah, we, have, I- we do have community college. Um or junior college, if you, you know, people who might not be ready to go to proper college or there are vocational schools people can opt to go to, but it's not as big a thing here as it is there. Yeah. You guys do it right. Um, um so, so yes, yeah, your food sucks. Cool. And also as well, what we were find, what universities were finding and why six from colleges sort of came and took over was that if you stay on in a school, your teachers don't lecture you, they teach you. Whereas when you go to a sixth form college, they start to lecture you and the and it becomes about you taking responsibility for your learning. Because when I worked in the cinema, uh, and this is going back a few years, some of the um peop- some of the like the really young members of staff who were 18 were still in school, still having to call somebody Miss or Sir. Um and it, they were like rebelling against it and if there was any issue with like the learning or something like that they'd go straight to the parents and then the parents would be like well she's 18 she's an adult you know talk to her what if they don't want to talk to her well, well, the parents... well I mean, maybe the she's just an asshole no one wants to talk to her maybe but you know <laughs> it's it is so college is much more about you you know the 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 responsibility is on you make getting to class you doing the work you you know turning up for the exam um and everything so yeah in america college is about drinking <clears throat> well co- um university is about drinking um and it it was quite sweet this morning seeing all the first year and you could tell they were the first year university students because they were wearing their lanyard to say <clears throat> that they were students of the university and they all looked very new and they looked very eager and they were all waiting for the bus and they thought give it a year <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give it a week miserable. <laughs> you won't want to do nine o'clock lectures no no uh that's oh so they started now, huh? Pardon? Yeah. They just started now, huh? It's a uh, little yeah. late. Yeah. So we started a while ago, like about uh, last month. Um, The term starts about now, and that will go all the way up until December. Then they'll break for Christmas. Then in January, they will have exact, well, you sort of have like halfway through the term, like in November, you will have an essay or an exam more like most likely an essay then in january you'll have either essays or exams and then you go back to you go back in february and then you'll do february up until easter you'll have a break for easter you'll come back and do a little bit more of lectures 
and then it'll be essays again but in between in between coming back after Christmas and Easter you have another essay in the middle there as well so uh, all together you do about nine essays a year um or and that can be like six essays and three exams or something like that so at which period is it best to eat the Haribo sugar-free gummy bears? Um, well, considering that the main campus um, is Singleton and that is nowhere near the city. And if you get on a bus, you step on the bus. Um, none of them periods are good. Did I ever tell you the story of the time I was on the bus with the guy who shit himself on the bus? No. This is a true story. I, I haven't thought of this in years, Lauren, but you just reminded me of it. Um, so I used to ride a bus to and from work because it was downtown Buffalo. And uh, this is back when I worked uh, the, 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 the later shift. I would get home around 11 o'clock at night and I was on a bus coming home from, from downtown and there was a guy on the bus and he shit himself. Oh, that's so embarrassing. Well, no, he didn't mind. He sat there and then anytime someone got on the bus and then anywhere near him, he would go, someone shit themselves so that he wouldn't get the plane. Anytime someone new came on, he would do that. Smells like someone's shit. <laughs> Who shit themselves? So the new people wouldn't think it was him. But we all know he dropped a dookie on the bus. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that great? Well, he must have been like praying that you went along with him. Oh, no, he was pretty hammered. Or on some kind of drugs. Maybe then he didn't realize he'd actually pooped himself. He, maybe he didn't. You're right, Lauren. Maybe he actually thought someone shit themselves. He didn't realize it was his own his own turd. I mean, it's not a turd because you know the rules. You can't oops a turd. <laughs> when, when you shit yourself, it's usually pretty runny or liquid because you can't oops a turd. Oh, but uh, I'll bet you when he got home, he really could have used the bathroom, buddy. I bet he could have. <laughs> oh, so now that we've talked about the guy shitting himself, Lauren, I went to this amazing restaurant the other day. Yeah. And. uh well, you know me. Well, you know I'm on this diet, and I have no carbs and no sugars, and I eat a lot of seafood. Yes. And, like, one of my favorite foods in the world is lobster tails. Oh, my God, I love lobster tails. And they actually had, uh, like, someone, it was like a handwritten sign. Do you ever see a menu where, like, they might have a special, so they like, a handwritten sign, and they tape it in the menu? Yeah. Yeah, it was one of those. In the menu, and it said... Lobster tails, two dollars. Oh no! Why? Well, how the hell can you have lobster tails for two dollars? First, I off? know. I mean, it's they're probably on the rancid side. Well, I didn't care because for two dollars, I don't care if I'm getting some kind of like you know disease from eating it because I'm ordering lobster tails. 
So the waiter comes over and I say, uh, I'll, uh, I'll have one of these lobster tails. And he says, all right, once upon a time, there was a lobster. That was hilarious. <laughs> you didn't like that one? No. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a lobster. So. All right, all right, all right. Let's go on to our... Um, Today in history. Um, I'm going to let you go first again, Lauren, for Today in History. Only because I have a feeling we might have picked the same day, and I have backups just in case. So why don't you go with that? I, I, I don't think you picked this one. This okay. is kind of random. This is the Battle of Philippi in 42 BC, the first Battle of Philippi um, between Trevimus, Mark, Antony, and Octavian. Um, they fight an indecisive battle with Caesar's assassins, Brutus and Cassius. What's that about? <laughs> What's wrong with that? Nothing. You picked the same day I did. Did I? No, of course not. I thought I thought <laughs> I thought I thought it was a bit unusual. That's why I went for it. No, that's it. That's it is unusual, but that's a really cool day in history. My favorite, um, my favorite book of the gospel is is the is paul's epistle to the philippians because it's just so beautiful and it's about um how to behave as a christian and everything and it's just so so beautiful and it's yeah. something a lot of christians could go back and read well speaking of reading my day in history was was uh december i almost said december lauren can you believe it oh don't do that that's evil because it is almost December, but it's October the yeah, 3rd. It is October. <clears throat> October the 3rd, 1849. Legendary author Edgar Allan Poe was found delirious and pretty stinky in a gutter in Baltimore, Maryland. Do you know that was the last time he was ever seen alive? I know. Um, I, I think I did hear a story about how he... They think it was something to do with press ganging people to vote or getting their votes. Yes, they think. We don't know for sure. Um, no, but you must emphasize that that's not gospel definitely did happen. This is um, we think that, you know, because wasn't it that he wasn't even in his own clothes? Yeah, he was not in his own clothes. He was completely delirious. He was incoherent. Uh, he stunk to high heaven, apparently. But then again, that could have been because he was in the gutter. That might have been not been stink coming off him. That could have been like stink from the gutter. But uh, and then he died. Pretty odd. Yeah. Kind of also fitting, though, like when, when you think of Edgar Allan Poe, I think that's kind of the way you want someone like Edgar Allan Poe to die. Not that you're wishing death on anybody, but. Uh, yeah, he should have I died. Mean, I mean, that his his death is a mystery. Yeah, that's what I mean. Unsolvable by him. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that. Pretty fitting that he died smelling like turds. No, I mean the mystery part. Yeah, you mean 
a mystery that could only be solved by his brain. <laughs> I'm having too much fun with these new sound effects. Uh, have you got a new computer? No. No. Wrong answer. And also, um, I think I forgot to mention as well, we've had um, we've had a few friends that have had some new books out as well. Oh, breaking news. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, guest Mike Hawley, uh, his book well, has come out, a new book about Fran- Francis Timothy. Um, there's still more to say about the guy, apparently. Yeah. And also, um, we've had a new, well, for spooky season, that's why I'm mentioning it, is we've had a new, there's a new Bram Stoker biography, an illustrated life of Bram Stoker by Neil Story. So Absolutely, another show legend. Yes, and um, we wish them all the best with their books, though I know um, Neil's has had some success. I think he's sold out of the first run of his prints. I- I saw that because I went online to see if they were doing it on like in the U.S. because I know it was for sale in the U.K. And so I went on to see if they were, if there was a distributor in the U.S. that could send it. And if not, I'm going to Neil uh, send me one. Uh, <laughs> you know the address, just send it. But um, it, I saw that it was sold out the first printing. Yeah, he might have copies. Yeah. So uh, I'm I not above that's... asking for a freebie. Pardon? I'm not above asking for a freebie. I got a freebie. <laughs> yeah, well, you're in the same continent. <coughs> I didn't yeah. call you incontinent, though. I just said same continent. I um, Yeah, I got a freebie. <laughs> yeah, is that a fact? <laughs> you know what I say to that? What? <laughs> oh, Ike, you know what? Uh, I have a couple more days in history just because I thought these were really cool. That I'll just real boom, 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 quick days in history, okay? Yeah. Today in history, uh, October 3rd, 1941, John Houston's classic, The Maltese Falcon, was released uh, with Humphrey Bogart based on the uh, 1929 Dashiell Hammett novel. You know, a lot of people say Maltese Falcon's one of the five greatest films ever made. But, uh, you know, change cinema, film noir, just amazing. But that came out today in 41. Also, three TV shows premiered this day in history. In 1955, and this is going to mean absolutely nothing to you, Lauren, but all of our American listeners who are at least my age or older will appreciate the fact that October 3rd, 1955, was the very first episode of Captain Kangaroo. Isn't that wonderful? You have no idea what that is, do you? Um, I heard of it, but I don't, I can't think of what it would be. He was on for 40-some years. It was a children's show. Also, today in history... October 3rd, 1961, two television series premiered that have gone on to be considered two of the most successful television series of all time. 
and that was uh, the Dick Van Dyke Show and Mr. Ed. Mr. Ed the Talking Horse, one of my favorite shows ever made. I remember that. Oh, yeah. And finally, today in history, October 3rd, 2014, was the very last concert B.B. King ever played in his life at the House of Blues in Chicago. Isn't that that something? It is. But uh, that's what I got. Now, we're going to have Jeff Kirkendall come out. We're going to talk all about uh, low-budget, micro-budget horror films, his career. Oh, my God, I forgot to tell you, Lauren. Remember a couple weeks ago when I was complaining about that thesaurus I bought? Go on. That it wasn't only terrible, it was terrible. Well, I actually went out and bought a new thesaurus because that one was so shitty. And I was all excited because I don't like thesauruses online. I want an actual book that I can hold. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I got home and I opened up my thesaurus and all the pages were blank. I, I have no words to describe how how mad I am. <laughs> All right. On that note, Lauren, why don't I fire up the magic interview box? It's the magic interview box. All right. We will be right back for our, with our first of our spooky Halloween shows. And uh, Lauren, do you want to flip the switch? Yes, please. Lauren, 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 you have no idea how excited I am for tonight's show. First off. It's October. We're starting our October series, and you know how much I love my October series. But even more important, I do, even more importantly, you know how at least every week or so I keep sending you a movie that you got to find online to stream about how wonderful they are? Yes. I got the star and director of some of those movies coming on tonight, the legendary Jeff Kirkendall, actor, writer, producer, director, star of, it's got to be close to 70 films now, director of like 20 films, and we're talking films that are totally in my wheelhouse. I mean, he's directed films like uh, two of the three R.I.P. Van Winkle series, which I just bought the three discs, um, fantastic transfers through Alpha Video, star of movies such as Amityville Exorcism, Amityville in Space, uh, Feeders 3, House Squatch, one of my personal favorite all-time movies, by the way. Cocaine Shark, Lauren, he's in Cocaine Shark. Sharkula, Sharkenstein. I, I could, if I were to list everything, it would take the entire show. So I'm going to stop right there, and we're going to bring on the one and only one of my favorites and a hero of mine, Mr. Jeff Kirkendall. Jeff, welcome to Transatlantic History Rambles. You can pretend to ha- pre- prepare to have your ass kissed for the next however long we talk. <laughs> Thank you for having me on, Brian. I I, I I can't believe the one and only Father Banna is here. Yes, one of the all-time great characters in independent horror films is the legendary Father Banna that you play in... Probably most impressively, the great Noah's shark. 
which is not only one of the great movies, but one of the great titles ever. Where, I got to go back to the beginning. Where did you, or when, I should say, did you decide, you know what? I I don't care about the Hollywood system so much. I'm going to make movies because I love movies, and here I go. I'm jumping in both feet. Well, I got interested in independent filmmaking and acting back in the mid-1990s after I graduated college. Uh, I was taking some acting classes in my area, and I had gotten to take some video production courses uh, as part of a communications degree. And so after after that ended, I decided to go out and uh, attempt to make my first movie, and I was also involved in the the local independent film scene. Uh, So so I just kind of... uh, was uh, familiar with independent movie making, um, even though, you know, as a teenager, I used to uh, go to the movies a lot. And I still do nowadays. And I watch a lot of Hollywood movies. But uh, as far as making movies goes, I've always been uh, part of the independent film scene right from the get go. And I've always said that a lot of people that are independent filmmakers, whether they start out as independent filmmakers and become, you know, mainstream insiders, people like Sam Raimi, or uh, Aaron Koontz or, or folks like that. It's the people that work in independent film, low budget films, for lack of a better word, um, or what used to be called B films, that, that seem to actually have a love of film and film history in the business more so than the um, the business end of it, which, which more mainstream films tend to be more business related than love of film nowadays. And uh, it comes through in your productions that there's just this love of what you do. That it's not about making a million dollars. It's about doing what you love. And again, I just totally dig that. I love it. Um, Do you still have that love of the film or are you like, all right, I've done this long enough. I'm done. I I still uh, really enjoy working on these productions. Um... You know, they are they are all, all uh, very uh, what you would call micro budget productions. So it's not, uh, as you say, about the uh, making money part so much because there's very little little money that goes into these movies. Uh, so you really have to have a love of what you're doing and the people you're working with and the material and all that type of thing. And I, I still have a really good time with it. You know, I, I get to be I get to be creative. I get to be a part of a team, you know, on, on a movie, whether I'm acting or you know, co-directing or something like that. And since it's a smaller group of people, you can be a you know more integral part of a production as opposed to, you know, a Hollywood movie where you're one tiny piece of a giant machine, that type of thing. So I, I really enjoy working on them. Yeah, and it, it comes through uh, how everybody seems to get along and have a good time, and um, there's a there's a chemistry between people in, in these films that I don't know. I'm one of those film nerds that, you know, I've actually like given like lectures on films of, of some of the great directors. I've done talks on Bergman and on Lynch and things, but at the same time, I will sit there and watch RIP Van Winkle one, two and three in a day and have just as much fun. Yeah, they are, they are, they are really, uh, you know, uh, movies that have a lot of heart. Uh, these, uh, these micro budget movies, uh, you know, you have to be really creative with the stories and uh, because, you know, you're working with maybe less resources and, you know, a bigger budget production and there are less people behind the scenes and you have to, uh, 
you know, put your heart and soul into it, creativity and make something that people really enjoy. That's that's the main thing. At the end of the day, the question is, did the viewer enjoy your movie? Uh, so, you know, that's that that's a lot of what goes into these movies. <laughs> and oh, we enjoy we we enjoy them. Um, Lauren, I know I send you things all the time to watch. Uh, I think the last one I told you to watch was Cocaine Shark. And every time I send Lauren these movies, she's like, oh, God, Brian's sending another movie. No, that's not <laughs> true. You you love it when I send these requests to you. Um, I I enjoy them, yes, but I'm not, I wouldn't say the horror, horror is my favorite genre, but I don't sort of dread it. I mean, my first degree was in film and English literature. So I've sat through some horror films. Not a lot. <laughs> you know, that's another thing, um, Jeff, that, you know, a lot of people assume people who are into low budget, uh, micro budget, independent horror films are not the brightest people. Uh, you have how many degrees do you have? Um, I have four college degrees. I, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I got an associate, um, two bachelors and a master's degree. Uh, so I, I was a. Uh, I was kind of one of those perpetual college students for a long time, and uh, I wound up coming out of it with, <laughs> with four degrees. <laughs> exactly. That shows, first off, you are not lazy. Anybody who gets four degrees is not lazy. And anybody who puts out, I think, seven or eight films in one year, 2023 alone, is definitely not a lazy person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to work on a lot of projects. Uh, I mean, uh, since I started it, uh, you know, I, I, since I started getting into it, I have always been, you know, writing something or uh, working with other filmmakers. I used to do a lot of editing uh, for filmmakers in my area back uh, during the 90s and early 2000s. Um, so I was always doing something or maybe learning new software. I I taught myself uh, the Adobe Premiere program. That's how I got into editing because some of the filmmakers didn't. Uh, edit their own projects. So I always tried to keep busy with things, basically. I, I kind of want to explain to the audience who, who might not know what we're referring to when we say micro-budget, because everybody's heard what a low-budget film is, and, and you'll read a story that, oh, this studio just made a low-budget film that cost $12 million, and that's low-budget. That's not low-budget. Uh, ex explain what a micro-budget film is. A uh, micro-budget movie is a movie made for anywhere from zero to probably under $100,000. Um, most of the movies I've worked on, the vast majority of them have been um, under $10,000 budgets, uh, some of them really close to zero. So it's uh, people working with limited resources, small crews. A lot of the actors uh, are in the movies as uh, basically volunteers, uh, they're doing it for experience, get something <clears throat> on the resume and so forth. And it's for the love of filmmaking. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's the big thing. Uh, you have to really love what you're doing and really be invested in the project. And if you're a filmmaker, it's a good idea to have uh, at least a couple people that uh, are as passionate as you are that share your passion uh, to uh, to get the projects done. Now. 
you mentioned earlier that, you know, you went to a lot of movies, you, you were a fan of Hollywood films and you were a fan of film in general, but were you a fan of the, um, the micro budget filmmakers of the past? Um, the Ray Dennis Stecklers, the, um, wow, I just completely and totally blanked uh, on Herschel Gordon Lewis's name. I don't know how I did that. I'm wearing a Herschel Gordon Lewis t-shirt, but you know, filmmakers like that, were you interested in their stuff from the get go or, did you develop appreciation for it or just happy would, accident? No, I would say I developed an appreciation for it. Uh, I, I got interested in the horror genre as a teenager uh, mid, in the mid-1980s. Uh, I saw the original uh, Nightmare on Elm Street on video, and that was kind of the movie that got me hooked on it. And then I started watching other things. And then I got to know uh, some of these names and filmmakers, like you mentioned uh um, Herschel Gordon Lewis. I didn't know him originally, and I, I kind of find out, found out about some of his movies and uh, watched some of them. And I thought they were really interesting. You could tell they were done on uh, shoestring budgets, and it wasn't a you know big Hollywood production. It was had a different look and feel to it. And I started to know more of these people as I went on. So I did develop an appreciation for a lot of these filmmakers. Yeah, it, it's it's weird that. <clears throat> filmmakers like that in the past in, in in the 50s 60s and 70s they had an outlet for their films they had the the drive-ins uh the grind houses so they always had a place to play until like the early 80s where that all disappeared luckily the mid 80s had the video explosion and the direct-to-video filmmaker um, became a thing where, you know, I could go into my local video store and rent a horror movie that, you know, the box looked just like a professional Hollywood video. And I'd get it home and see it was some guy filmed it on a camcorder. And I fell in love with it. Um, and now, you know, you've been through the video craze. And now you're into the streaming um, aspect of it, where these films will go directly to a network like Tubi or, or a streaming service like Freebie. Um, has that helped or hurt? the the business you're in or as far as getting word out there for your films or uh fan appreciation do you think streaming has helped or do you miss the video craze well i do miss the days of the video stores i look back fondly on that um i'm a very much a 1980s child and i remember the video store days and uh how much fun it was to go and rent movies and that type of thing and as you say there was a lot of good independent stuff there uh, the boxes look great and you know i have a fond memories of that uh, as far as the streaming goes it seems to have uh it seems to have helped uh, get our movies out to a wide audience because a lot of people do contact me having seen our movies on streaming i still get uh you know, there are a lot of hardcore uh, physical media fans that uh, like the DVD and even VHS. And but uh, there is an audience that uh, probably won't see your movie until it hits streaming that you mentioned, uh, kind of the, the major streaming platforms like a free channel like Tubi, for example. I know there are fans that uh, I'll hear from them after after the movie hits Tubi. And if you look at, uh, for example, if you look at the IMDb pages for some of these independent movies, you'll see no user reviews until it hits the streaming. Th that kind of shows me that it's hitting a wider audience at that point, because there are people that will, there are not people watching it that they'll go on and, you know, uh, give their opinion about the movie or, or give it a rating or something. So it does seem to uh, bring it to a wider audience, even, even though, again, I'm, I am a big fan of the physical still. 
Hey, hey Lauren. Oh, she's on mute. Lauren, yeah. <laughs> you, did you hear, you hear what he said about how sometimes people contact him after the films hit two beer thing? He was talking yeah. about, yeah, he was talking about me. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> weirdos like Brian reach out after they watch Cocaine Shark. <laughs> no, not at all. It's, uh, I, I, I'm always happy when people watch the movie, regardless of what the format is. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's That's the main thing, that people are watching and enjoying the movies. That's, uh, or else, why would you want to do it just for yourself? <laughs> I'm 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 like you, you know. I was I was born in the mid '70s. I'm a child of the '80s. I lived for the video craze, and then I was reluctant to move on to streaming because I love having you know physical copies of things. And I do both now. Um, I think I popped up the other day when I was so excited that my package arrived of all three R.I.P. Van Winkle DVDs in double feature format. Oh yes, it, yes. And I, you know, I love both, and I love that you know at least once a week I'll put on Tubi and, and put in your name or, or Mark Polonia's name to see what they have streaming at that time. And I will have full week binges of your films because it, it's, this is, I love, do, do you think, and, and this is just you, I'm not going to have you talk for the entire industry, although you can, cause the rest of the industry is not here. So fuck them. Uh, <laughs> this is all about you now. Do you think the micro budget, horror genre is the most successful of the micro budget genres and 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 if so why people do seem to make more horror movies and maybe sci-fi to some extent in in the micro budget genre than other genres it seems like there are a lot more movies and um i think uh it, it may have something to do with uh you know the bigger budget movies seem to rely more on uh, big name celebrities and uh star power and that type of thing and and with the uh, the horror genre, it's you know some somewhat about the actors, and then also somewhat about the uh, you know the material, the horror you know horror effects and um, things people like to see in horror movies. So it's not all about maybe one you know uh, celebrity being in a movie. That's that's why I think uh, people you know make a lot of these type of movies. There's a lot of different elements in them, and you know, the horror fan likes the horror fans like that kind of thing and they like to see certain things. So, uh, yeah, it, it seems like there are a lot more uh, horror movies made in the micro budget genre than, you know, maybe a straight straight dramas and so forth than that, that type of thing. You don't see too many micro budget rom coms. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. But <laughs> you uh, got- there, have been, there have been. I've seen some, but you're right. You're right. It doesn't seem to be a lot. You know, I hear, you know, I'm always hearing about horror movies and sci-fi and, you know, action and so forth more than those other genres. Although, holy shit, my head just exploded. We got a new idea for your next film. I mean, not only were you in Sharkula and Sharkenstein and Cocaine Shark and Noah's Shark and um, Jurassic Shark. Now you got to do some kind of shark rom-com. (laughs) <laughs> well maybe those movies did have some comedy in them <laughs> anyways i think they did so uh i don't know how far of a stretch it would be but yeah <laughs> uh, well that's the other thing i love about this genre of horror is there's a lot of films that that you and, and someone like mark polonia does that is horror comedy and horror is a weird genre for fans because 
we love i'm speaking for myself as a, as a horror fan like i said i'm a film fan film historian from the late 1880s all the way to like the late 1970s but yet horror's always been one of my biggest passions and if we love all forms of it and we love horror comedy we love straight horror we love gothic horror and you guys have been able to combine all of those elements there are film series that are straight horror, but at the same time, a movie like House Squatch, no one takes a straight horror. <laughs> well, I think that uh, I think that because of the micro budgets, um, oftentimes more co- comedy creeps into a lot of our movies because of uh, you know because of the uh, the props and effects. Uh, it, it some of them tend to be more lighthearted and, and comedic. comedic uh, now, House Squatch, uh, House Squatch is uh, probably one of the funniest ones. I mean, it's it's overly overly silly that one. That one, that one, I think was written more as a horror comedy. And when I watched the you know the final movie, I realized that that one's really, a, you know, a fun silly one. You know, more so than even some of the other ones. <laughs> I have written up a treatment, and I could do a full script for a sequel to House Squatch. By the way, because I, I have dreamed of a sequel to House Squatch. Oh, well, I'm glad you enjoyed the movie. I, I was really pleased with the way it came out. I, mean, I remember when we were making it. Uh, I mean, it seemed like a funny script, one of Mark's funnier scripts, but uh, I didn't know if it was going to be, you know, laugh out loud funny as we were making it. I wasn't sure if it was gelling or not. And uh, but we were laughing a lot on set on that one, really a lot. There were a couple scenes there where it was difficult to keep a straight face. But when I watched the uh, when I watched the final movie, I realized it really did come out well because I was laughing at it. I thought it, you know, came out really well. You, you know, another interesting thing about a micro-budget film and a micro-budget film star, and yes, I'm going to use the word star, stop blushing, like yourself, is that you are not pigeonholed into any type of character. You have played everything from, you know, the amazing hero in Father Benna um, to you know, oddball locals to, you know, you've been the serial killer. You've been the slasher. You've been the hero. You've been everything. Do you have one you prefer playing? Be honest. Um, my, I have a couple of favorite roles that I've done. Uh, I, I think number one is still uh, uh, the movie Jurassic Prey. I played <laughs> uh, a, a washed up B movie actor who, uh, along with a couple of his pals, goes and robs a bank. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. Just I like that character that he was on this crazy television show. And uh, but now nobody knows who he is. There's even a line in it where he says to uh, another character. She she says to him, you look familiar. Do I know you? And and he says something about I've been in a lot of movies. Nobody's ever seen before. (laughs) So I really like that character a lot. It's uh, still one of my favorites. And then. Probably second would be uh, the Klaus character from Sharkenstein because it was so ridiculously over the top. (laughs) Just, you know, really a fun thing. (laughs) Well, Jurassic Prey is so good. There's one thing about that movie that I always just absolutely adored. Knowing a lot of people in the the horror and sci-fi community is that you cover up your criminal escapades by telling your wife that you're going to uh, a convention to do an autograph signing for washed up stars 
and she believes it because there's those conventions in every city every day in the country and that's your excuse to go out and rob a bank i love yes that. yes yes it's very yes it's very current exactly <laughs> because there's that no way anybody that. wouldn't believe that that character's going to do an autograph signing yes yes exactly that was uh yeah, that was uh, one of the early movies I did for Mark, probably like the third or fourth movie I remember. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to make that one. Uh, yeah, we had some nice locations and uh, really good cast. And uh, yeah, that one that one's really done well. It's um, been released not only in the States, but in like four or five other countries with different uh, box art and var- variations on the box art. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, oh. really gotten out there. Great. Now I'm going to have to go find the foreign copies to get the different box art. You bastard. <laughs> you think the collectors like me go out and do this, but uh, <laughs> ha- have you done any of the conventions where you're there signing the autographs and taking the pictures and, you know, talking to the, to the fan base of the, of the micro budgets? Um, I, ha- I, I haven't done a convention in a long time. I, I was a, a local filmmaker guest at a uh, an upstate New York convention. It was probably, boy, even it might have even been before I started, right before I started working with Mark or right after, but that was a long time ago. Um, I, I've always been a, an attendee at conventions. I've gone to a lot of them, but not in recent years. It's been quite a few years now. But I used to go to a lot of conventions. I went to... Uh, uh, some Fangoria conventions in the mid-1990s. Those were my first ones in New York City. Th- that was great. And then I used to go to uh, the Chiller Theater Convention in New Jersey for a lot of years up until recently, um, up until maybe a couple of years before the pandemic. Uh, but um, no, I haven't I haven't done anything as a guest in quite a while. Uh, but maybe, you know, one of these days, if things keep going well, I'll be asked. <laughs> yeah, we got to get this set up. We got to get this going. There is a fan base for these films. Um, there's a loyal fan base for these films too. Uh, I, I love that it's, I don't love it. It's, it's horrible that it's not a mainstream fan base because that's horrible for your guy's pocketbook. But the fact that there is this cult following and, and this love of the genre by a group of people, I, I mean, you know, very few people get that in, in life and, and you have that kind of following and fan base. Yeah, I was, I was very fortunate uh, the way things worked out. Uh, like I said, I uh, I started uh, around in the mid-1990s. I was in the local independent film scene in upstate New York. Um, and uh, you know, I, I directed a handful of my own movies. I did some editing on other features. And up until maybe about uh, 2010 or so, we had a lot of... Uh, we had a lot of independent film showings around the area, film screenings, premieres, and we got a lot of local press. And uh, it was it was a really fun time. Um, but then uh, after that, uh, you know, when I started working with Mark, uh, things started to get bigger, you know, on the national stage. You know, these movies started to get, you know, released on, like you said, streaming. And, you know, my the first movie I did with Mark, it, um, it was Empire of the Apes and you know, a few months later, I think it was maybe six months later, I saw it for sale on Amazon at Best Best Buy and stuff, you know, online. And I had never seen that before. I mean, we like I said, we had some popularity, you know, in the local area and press and sold a few copies here and there. But it really got big at that time. And so, it's you know, it's been a, been a fortunate thing that I've been able to be involved in these movies and uh, and keep going with uh, the acting and. I've been doing more writing and directing lately too. So, so 
yeah, it just worked out. It worked out really well. Yeah, Empire of the Apes was the only um, one of the ape series you were in for Mark, isn't it? I did. Uh, I did the. I was in the first three films. I did. Oh, you were in all three. Yeah, I, I was in. I was actually. I actually played an ape character in the first two on set, and then the third one, Invasion of the Empire of the Apes. I uh, I couldn't make it there, so I did the voice of the character, and somebody else did the on set stuff. Uh, and then I think there's a yeah, there's a new one that came out. But uh, yeah, so I've been in a few of those. Uh, but yeah. Okay, you've been in a few ape films. You've been in a shitload of shark films. <laughs> Yes, Mark does. Mark does a lot of shark movies. I I never saw that coming. I, I yeah, I, I never saw that coming. Um, I, the first one, I guess the first one was Sh- Sharkenstein, and uh, yeah, a lot of those are released by uh, our distributor Wild Eye Releasing, and uh, apparently they still believe that there's a good audience for these shark movies because he's kept making them, and most of them have been through Wild Eye, and you know some of them get crazier and crazier and. I guess uh, the Sharknado movie started that kind of low-budget shark movie craze, but um, yeah, they, those have all been a blast to work on. I mean, I really, I really enjoy those, and yeah, they get a lot of attention. <laughs> and you've been in a bunch of uh, Sasquatch movies or Bigfoot, Bigfoot versus zombies. I mean, come on. Oh yes, yes, that was an early Classic. one. Also. Yeah, that was an early one. Also, that was quite a concept. Uh, yeah, I got that was another one of my uh, despicable scientist characters. Uh, but uh, yeah, that turned out really well. It's had some good effects and yeah, different right. kind of plot line. Wait a second, are they really despicable scientists that you play? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it depends on the way you're looking at it. I'm kind of usually cheering for your scientist in those films. <laughs> yeah, I think he was kind of uh, he was kind of a louse that guy, but. Uh, Maybe Klaus was a little more noble to some extent as far as, you know, uh, as far as, uh, yeah, that goes. <laughs> okay, maybe the one you were in in Frozen Sasquatch was kind of a dick. Maybe that I just was kind of a dick. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes, that was, uh, yeah, that was a little bit thing. Yeah. Uh, yep, Frozen Sasquatch. Yep, that was another one of those parts. <laughs> I um, You mentioned you hear from people, um, fans that see it. Uh, do you ever get any, like, I don't want to say, do you ever get any weird requests, but did you ever get any um, almost frightening feedback from fans? Uh, no, no, everybody's been pretty good. Uh, I, you know, I have uh, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people are friendly and uh, I don't I don't get too many negative comments. Uh, you know, nobody's been really overzealous or anything like that. You know, everybody's been pretty cool. And, you know, you have your detractors, of course, but that's a whole different thing. That's, you know, but uh, yeah, it's been really, it's been really good. I try to chat with people when I can and uh, yeah, I've enjoyed it. I ask because uh, our dear friend, Lauren brought a dear friend of hers as a a guest on the show a few times, who has now become one of our show regulars. And that's the great Dacre Stoker, um, the closest living descendant of Bram Stoker and uh, the author of the official Dracula sequel. And Lauren, what are some of the requests he's gotten from people? Oh, I I think they've asked him for his blood. I remember, I think... Them. Yeah, he's he's been asked for his blood. Yeah. If people, so if people start asking for your vials of blood, run. <laughs> no, so far P- 
people occasionally will ask for things to be signed. Um, and, you know, I, I, they've sent me stuff uh, in the mail and I've signed a few things and sent them back. But yeah, nothing, nothing major like that. Yeah, that's that's pretty odd. <laughs> that's pretty odd. Whoa, because, you know, that was going to be coming towards the end of the show is going to be how can I get a hold of you to get some stuff signed? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a collector of all things signed. But eh, maybe we won't go there now. Um, no, we're still going to go there, folks. I don't care. But you are one of the most likable people in these films. I mean, have people told you that or is this just like weird interpretation of Brian? Oh, you mean the characters in the movies that I play? Yes. Even the scumbag characters just come across so likable. You know, that's funny. I have, uh, I have heard that before. Uh, I heard that on a, one episode of a podcast. There's a podcast uh, called uh, Podlonia that uh, covers the films of Polonia Brothers Entertainment. They do they review, they walk through a, a, a Polonia movie in every episode. And I remember hearing that on one episode where uh, it was a, kind of a terrible character. And she said, uh, but, you know, Jeff says that's in such a nice way, though, even so. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> I watch these films. I'm like, he's just so I don't so know. I, <laughs> I don't know. know how I'm, you do it. Must be my acting style. I, you know, I try to, I try to make the despicable characters despicable, but maybe they're not. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's not that it's you're doing it wrong. There's just still something likable about them, even though they're despicable. I know they're doing horrible things, but I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of cheering for them just because I like them. <laughs> well maybe that's a good thing then you know people are absolutely you know, focusing on in on my characters <laughs> now you you've worked with another uh show legend of ours uh, a guest who's been on several times and a good friend of mine bruce hollenbeck oh okay and oh, bruce, uh, okay yeah yeah is, is bruce a taskmaster is he tough to work with i don't oh, know not at all you know that's funny i i uh, worked with Bruce yesterday. Actually, uh, I was working on a project. He was, he was acting in a movie and so was I. Uh, but, um, yeah, Bruce is an old friend of mine. He goes back to right when I started. I think, I, I believe my first credit, if you look on IMDb, is a movie Bruce directed. Uh, he is from my area. Uh, you know, he's kind of the, the maybe the grandfather of these movies and, uh, he's, uh, one of the world's leading experts on hammer horror films. He's written a lot of books. Uh, great guy. And yeah, we worked on some movies together that were, yeah, really, really a lot of fun to work on. All right. Definitely. Now, now that you've praised him, we're going to get him to listen. So, so let's talk shit about him. <laughs> <laughs> no, he really is um, a, a great historian of all things horror. He, he's an amazing guy. And, and he's another one that you know, with his knowledge, with his credibility, with his, as the young folks say, his street cred in the horror industry, he doesn't have to be doing a micro budget style of filmmaking yet. You could tell kind of that's where his heart is, that he loves it. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, he's a, he's kind of a jack of all trades. Like you said, he is really a historian. Uh, uh, he's written. Uh, yeah, books on Hammer horror films. Books on he did a book on comedy horror films, uh, Amicus, different uh, different things. And but uh, yeah, he's written and directed movies, and he's a really good actor. Uh, and um, yeah, he started doing some independent movies recently again. And uh, yeah, he seems to be having a really good time. I, he, he, yeah, he's uh, he really likes this stuff. 
Now, we don't want to get too personal here. Nothing too, you know, inside baseball, but you work so much on these films. Like, like we said, uh, I, I think I counted them. It was six or seven films released this year. And I think four in post-production now, and that's just one year. Are you able to do this as a full-time job? No, no, I'm not. It is what I would call a full-time hobby. I work a regular job that thankfully it's something that I'm very happy with. I'm not one of those people who, who hates their job. Uh, and I get to do this. Uh, I have a lot of free time, so I get to do this as uh, as a fun hobby. And, and like I said, fortunately, I met people like Bruce and more recently, well, 10 years ago now, 11 years ago, Mark, who produces a lot of movies each year. And I've been uh, I've been uh, grateful to, have, you know, gotten in on these movies and have been able to be a part of it. So uh, so, uh, yeah, it's worked out really well. Okay, now here's where we get intense. This is where it gets serious. You're an upstate New York guy. I'm a Western New York guy. Who's got the better film scene? Well, I don't know how many films I've seen from Western New York. I've seen some. Oh, that's a put down. <laughs> no, I were I uh, some of the actors. Um, let me think now. Um, some of the some of the actors that are in Mark's movie, some of his regulars, I believe, are from western new york uh so i have some friends uh but i ha- i haven't seen that many um you'd have to name some filmmakers and maybe i have seen them i don't know we, but, we, uh, we don't have that big a, an independent film scene in in western new york we should have a bigger one than we do we are starting to get um a reputation as a as a hollywood film scene a lot of uh hollywood productions are starting to film in this area and Tro- trauma has always filmed here there's always trauma doing work here too. So there's some independent if you count it, but it's not, it's really New York city. They're just filming here. Right. Yeah, you, right. Yeah. You people got it better over in, uh, uh, I would say central New York more or less. Central New York. Yeah. I, I guess, um, I guess I was thinking of central New York, uh, some of the actors it, it's, it's actually central. Some of the actors in the Polonia movies come from that area. Some of my good friends there, I guess it's more central than Western New York. I don't, maybe I don't know quite know the difference, but, uh, but yeah, in the upstate New York area, there's always been a thriving independent movie scene. Um, and, and lately there seems to be a few more things, um, for a while, it, for a while it calmed down. I started doing all these movies in Pennsylvania with Mark uh, but I've been doing a few more things locally, and uh, yeah, there's still a lot of talented filmmakers in upstate New York, definitely. See, now you got to come to Western New York and shoot some films, and you know, sneak some footage in Niagara Falls and stuff like that. Okay, right, right, exactly. I mean, come on, we don't necessarily need permits if, if, if no one knows what you're doing. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm not telling people here. to break the law in filmmaking, folks. I'm just suggesting there's ways to do it. <laughs> yep, yep. Like the the Ed the scene in the Ed Wood movie, we don't we don't have a permit here. Run. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually glad you brought up Ed Wood. Um, only because you know he's a historical character that gets pigeonholed as the world's worst filmmaker and this talentless hack and this you know whatever. But Ed Wood was really one of the first independent micro budget filmmakers. And no matter what you say about it, his films were made out of his love for filmmaking. And to this day, most of his films are far more enjoyable to watch than 
most of the mainstream films that came out at the same time. I think that's going to be the legacy of a lot of your films. And that's true. I mean, Ed, Ed Wood succeeded because, uh, you know, years later they made this multi-million dollar movie all about him. And not a lot of people can say that they had a movie made about them like that. So, you know, so, in the end he succeeded. So we're going to start production on Kirkendall. The movie. <laughs> Who do you uh, want to I'll play be. you? <laughs> I have no idea. I really don't. That one I don't know. Um, but, uh, but I do enjoy, uh, yeah, I do enjoy working on these movies. So they're, uh, yeah, they're a lot of fun and people seem to like them. And, uh, yeah, I think they will uh, stand the test of time. Definitely. Especially on a streaming platform. Um, one of the things I hate about streaming platform and I prefer physical copy, physical media is that it's always there. You know, this promise of streaming was anything you ever wanted at any time is right there at your fingertips, but that's not true. Most of it disappears. It's all about who wants to put it up or who pays for it and whatnot. But as long as um, lower budget independent films are cheaper for these platforms to run, they're going to exist on these platforms. So they're going to be there forever. People will stumble across them on accident. Some people will find them on purpose. You're going to keep developing a new fan base, which, you know, most of the big budget Hollywood films are forgotten about six months after they're released. That's not the case. Your films, uh, they have a snowballing effect. They, 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 they pick up more and more fans as time goes on. I think you may be right. I, I do. Uh, yeah, a lot of times uh, people will talk about or come to me about our movies and oftentimes they're movies from years ago. So, so, so with, with maybe more of a general, general mainstream type audience, there's a lag. They don't, uh, they don't see them for a while. Whereas, you know, the, uh, the real diehard fans see them right away. But uh, with, uh, with other fans, uh, I think you're right. They are around and uh, eventually people come across them. So take us through, and I'm sure this is going to be an odd way to say it, a typical production of a micro-budget film, from concept to shooting to release. And I know there's no such thing as a typical one, because I'm sure they're all completely different with their own problems and concerns. But just, you know, basic overview of how one of these films gets made. Again, from, from concept of the film, to the writing, to the filming, to the editing, to the release. Well, it really does vary because I've worked on different projects over the years. When I st started making movies, um, like my first uh, feature, it took probably over six months on weekends filming that movie uh, because that's what I could do at the time. And, you know, that was my experience at the time. I, I took it little by little. We filmed a handful of scenes each time and uh, we I had to keep the cast together for that long period of time. And then on the other end of the spectrum, for example, the movies I'm doing with Mark, he films everything within three to four days or so, anywhere from the, the quickest, I think, has been two, but two to four or five days, you know, in a row, which which is really the better way to do it, because you everyone's there, you film everything, and you don't have to keep people, you know, in a project for a long period of time, which can be very difficult. Uh, so that's that's been my experience more recently in the last you know ten years or so. Um, but with that with that type of a production, uh, you know, it depends on how fast you can write the script. Um, someone like my friend Mark can write one very quickly. I, I 
usually can write one within a few months if I have a strong idea. And then you put the production together. Let's say it's one where you are fortunate enough to be able to film it all at once, you know, three or four days. Uh, you get uh, you get everybody on board. Everybody shows up at the same place. You, you have a, a set filming schedule that you try to stick to, but you make it flexible enough so that if something goes wrong, say weather, uh, you have uh, more room on the back end of the schedule. You Like Mark, for example, will film the first couple of days will be heavier. He'll film heavier first couple of days and it'll be lighter later on. So if something goes wrong, there'll be more time left at the end of the schedule to make it up. And then editing can take uh, anywhere from someone who's a fast editor a couple of weeks to, you know, several months to, you know, a year's time. When I first started working on my movies, it took me a long time to edit a movie, you know, uh, it was probably, you know, six months because I was working on it little by little you know, because that's what I could do at the time. Uh, but if you can do it, uh, if you have time to put in and you have a lot of experience editing, you can do it much quicker, you know, even even within a couple of weeks or a month or so. And then after that, uh, if you're fortunate to be able to have a distributor, uh, you sign it over to a distributor, then it's basically out of your hands uh, because a distributor can pick up your movie and they can put it out three months later, a month later, or they can hold on to it for several years until they decide to put it out finally. Uh, so that's kind of a it's kind of an overview of the process, general overview. In the last, let's say, five years or so, where digital technology has gotten so good in internet speeds and computer programs, and I mean, I'm sure you can make one of these films with a digital camera and a laptop now, correct? Yes, yes, that's true. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, I would say, you know, you know, the, it's better if you have, uh, you know, experience filmmaking, because a lot of people will make comments, though, oh, you know, I could uh, I could make a better movie, you know, with with uh, a camcorder and, you know, or, or an iPhone or something like that. But I think I think a lot of people don't know what really goes into making a movie. There's a lot of elements and you're dealing with uh, locations, you're dealing with actors, schedules, uh technical aspects like lighting and so forth so while it's true these uh technological gadgets you know the latest iphone or so forth can produce you know pretty stunning images and you can edit them together pretty quickly uh that does uh you know that's not all that goes into a movie you know there's a lot to it and and people who have made movies know that know that and and that's why those productions are there's a difference between you know someone who uh you know just film something quickly with a phone. So, well, exactly. I, I mean, the tools are there that anybody can use, but the skill and the art and the craft of filmmaking is not something everybody can do. I think that's a, that's a nice succinct way of you said what I said very succinct, succinctly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you can buy great tools and do things. That doesn't mean you're going to be able to build a fucking house. Right. Exactly. Yes. You are not going to be able to build House Squatch just because you have an iPhone and a laptop. That's true. You could have a uh, you could have a very uh, low end digital camera. We we shot some movies, you know, back going back a ways. You know, so, some movies that I worked on were shot with just a um, I, I won't use the term low end, but just a simple, uh, uh, you know, a simple middle of the road uh, one chip digital camera, and uh, you know because everybody put 
put a lot into it on all those different fronts. It, it turned out really well. And, you know, you, you wouldn't know it was, a, you know, a $200 camera versus a $2,000 camera because uh, there's a lot more to it than that. Now, how does um, payoffs work on the on the back end? Uh, say you, you, you have a film, you make a film. Let's say we make a let's say we make Kirkendall, the biography. All right. We get it to a distributor. Are you paid from the distributor right then and there for your product or in an independent sense, do you have to wait till it's released and then start generating revenue? Uh, I think it varies by distributors. Uh, I've signed over a couple of my movies and I've had a small payout at the beginning. And then if I'm going to make any more money at some point, then it becomes uh, after the distributors expenses are covered and they start making money, you know, expenses such as, you know, the promotion and marketing and so forth, and they start making money, then I would get a percentage of it. Uh, and then I think there, there are some distributors who, who you sign over and it, it's, it's all in the back end. If, if after a certain point they start making money, then you get a certain percentage. Uh, so it just definitely varies by distributor. And again, not to pry, but, have you ever had any that made a surprising profit to you or ones that haven't profited that you thought would? Um, I, on some of my own movies, I, I, I've kind of broke even as, as time has gone by. I, I haven't had a huge money-making movie that I could you know, claim made a huge profit, but uh, I think I've recapped a lot of my production expenses on some of my early movies over the years as DVDs have sold and, you know, small checks here and there, that type of thing. But, uh, you know, it's, again, it's the micro budget movie world and, uh, you know, money is probably the last thing on the list, you know, that if you're fortunate to have some profits come, that's a good thing. So. It, it, you know, if you've ever needed to use someone with a great Western New York accent for a voiceover who is willing to work for free, I know a guy. Cool. So, cool. Yeah. So you just Sounds let me good. know if you ever need voiceover. Okay. But the, other, the other question I have for you, you love independent filmmaking. You love filmmaking in general, uh, particular horror filmmaking. Have you ever wanted to venture out into a different genre other than sci-fi or horror? I mean, have you ever wanted to do a pure comedy or a pure drama or you know, budget permitting a period piece or anything like that? Oh, sure. With me, it really depends on uh, getting a good story idea. Um, One of my early uh, movies was a straight comedy uh, around. We shot it in 2000, Yeah, around 2000, a comedy called Of Theater in Bikinis. Mm -hmm. I love that movie. It's, it's, oh, okay. Oh, oh, that's great. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) But yeah, it's a 39 minute comedy. And that was a, that was a, uh, an example where I just had a, a, a uh, strong idea and I got the script written and I wrote it for an actress who had been in one of my previous movies and uh, it was a really smooth production. And I think it turned out really well. It's one of, I think one of my better movies. Um, another example would be uh, Mark recently did a movie, uh, a comedy called Snow Babes. Originally I was, uh, that was a project we were developing together. We, we wanted to do an eighties, uh, sex comedy movie and uh we had a we had a specific idea for it and we gave it to another writer 
and he wrote something totally different, uh, <laughs> which became Snow Babes. And uh, um, I was going to play a part in that one, and that was the one Polonia movie where I ha- had to bow out because I got I was sick, couldn't make it. But that became Snow Babes, and but uh, and it, it turned out really well. But uh, we still want to do our '80s inspired uh, comedy film, and I'm, I'm actually working on something now with that oh, script. Fantastic, a lost classic genre, which I, I, I was discussing um, with. Um, oh my God. Um, I'm gonna, I, this is going to sound terrible because I just, I'm getting old, folks. Remember, my hearing's going, my memory's going, my sight's going. I forget these things. I'm old. Lauren always points out how old I am. Um, but we had uh, one of the great uh, early 80s um, sex comedy filmmakers on the show, uh, Mark Pirro. Oh, my God, I can't believe I, it took me that long to get his name. And... Uh, you know, he made like the classics, uh, Buford's Beach Bunnies and uh, <laughs> uh, Vampire, in Bro- uh, Polish Vampire in Brooklyn. But, you know, he was talking about those, that genre, which was around for a good decade and were incredibly successful. Almost all those films are what are called, quote unquote, canceled now because of the style of humor that the 2023 audience can't handle that kind of comedy. Are, are you going to actually go for that right in your face style of comedy they had, or are you going to try to, you know, make it okay for 2023 sensibilities? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure yet. Um, I, I know what my basic idea is to emulate one of the, 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 the basic uh, plot line of the 80 sex comedies. It was always, the story was always about, uh, well, there are a few different plot lines, but the one I'm thinking of is where there's some business that's going, that everybody loves and it's going to be put, they're going to be put out of business by the evil land developer, real estate mm-hmm. developer. And, and the people who work there come up with a crazy scheme to raise money to save the business. Yeah. So you're like talking the, films like joysticks or um, uh, bikini car wash. Bikini Car Wash Company, those type of movies. Yeah. Or it's not, some of them were set in the winter, like the ski ones. There's some big ski contest or something like yep. that. Yep. Uh, that was actually what Snow Babes kind of became. We were originally thinking our first idea was to do a ski comedy, sex comedy. And the, but that, like I said, that became the writer came up with something very different, which became Snow Babes, which is still, it's still turned out really well. But it wasn't it didn't come out uh, at, to what we were thinking of. But um but yeah, that's my idea to uh, do a comedy like that. Uh, and I, I, I think I'm going to keep the humor pretty light. Real th- those movies, I don't think I don't think a lot of the humor was that offensive. Maybe some things, but we're, I'm going to try to keep it really light and just really hijinks and that kind of thing. Not offensive to us because we grew up with it. Exactly. <laughs> um, ask Lauren about some of the emails we get on this show for things that she says, and I get blamed for. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's a great idea. I think there's, there's this level of nostalgia that folks our age, I'm assuming we're about the same age since we've talked about our formative years of, of enjoying film or relatively. Although now I can't say that because I've just been saying how old I'm getting and everything. So now I feel bad because I just called you old. Oh, it's okay. I'm much uh, older than you, Jeff. Well, like my, my, other, 
my other comedy, which um, thank you for watching it, but not a lot of people probably have seen a theater in bikinis, but that actually has a lot of very lighthearted humor that, and the plot of that, uh, this girl uh, wants to become a Hollywood actress and she thinks this Hollywood director is coming to her town. And, and basically what happens is her, her, her brother plays this prank on her and has his friend pretend to be a Hollywood guy and makes her do crazy things in the park. You know, she's, uh, doing these acting exercises to impress him and jumping around and doing just silly stuff. And that's kind of the, the, the vibe I'm thinking of for this new movie, just really kind of silly stuff, basically. Well, it's there that, that, that audience, that nostalgia is there. Look how big nostalgia is now. Oh yeah. Um, because you know, our generation is the one that are in control of everything now. <laughs> So feed our egos, feed our nostalgia. That's what not enough people are doing. We need to be (laughs) represented more. Definitely. Nostalgia is very big. Yes. Yeah. What? (laughs) I just, I can't wait till you do another uh, 80 sex comedy film. That's fantastic. That makes me so happy. I hope it, hope it works out. I hope it works out. I'm struggling with the script now, but I, I generally uh, I'm able to overcome these things. So I have a few ideas and uh, I think uh, Mark and I actually were brainstorming a bit and uh, we have a premise for a business that hasn't been done yet. A business, a, you know, a, a place <laughs> that it will, I think will be pretty funny. <laughs> we, 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 we could talk a little bit about this off air too. Trust me. <laughs> I got a million ideas. Um, Oh man, we're going close to an hour. I'm sorry. But I'm not letting you go yet because I'm having way too much fun. That's good. Good. Fun time. (laughs) Fun time. Which film of yours that you directed, um, did did you have the most, I don't want to say fun because, you know, every, I know it is fun to be a filmmaker and to make films, but it, as a director, it's a lot of stress, especially on these micro budgets because you've got to get things done. You got to get them done fast. You got to get them done on time and on budget. But what was the most pleasurable experience you had as a filmmaker, as the director? Hmm. Uh, let's see. Or which uh, one sucked the most? Which one made you pull your hair out and want to like scream at everybody? I'll take either. I'll take either end of the spectrum. Well, up theater in bikinis was uh, pretty easy because we uh, were filming during the middle of summer in a park and uh, there were no effects or anything. It was all dialogue and, uh, you know, uh, good weather to film in and uh, it went very smoothly. Uh, that was that was probably one of the easiest ones. We filmed that rather quickly. I think I'm assuming probably- Halloween Horror Tales was not easy. That one was filmed over many years. I shot the first three stories for that between 2009 and 2011. And then after that, uh, uh, I put it away for a while just because different things came up, life events. Somehow the project got put away. And then uh, it wasn't until early 2018, which I where I filmed the fourth story. Uh, I needed for it to have the running time be correct. And actually, Mark, uh, Mark helped me film that up in his area uh, so that so it was a lot of years from the beginning of filming that until it was finally released. And after I got the fourth one done, it got released that year by uh, Sterling Entertainment 2018. But it was a long process doing all those uh, different shorts over that period of time. 
I didn't know it took that long. All I could tell was watching that you could see this was not an easy film to put together. I bet. Right, because all the uh, all the stories were very disparate, disparate, and uh, different elements and different actors, and uh, and uh, you know some of them were more effects heavy that were harder. Like the last one, The Hunt, is pretty effects heavy, and we had a lot of night filming. And there's a sequence at the end where uh, the this uh, FBI agent faces up against a vampire in this small space. It was a it was a kind of a a garage shed type wooden shed in the in the backyard of my co-producer's uh, place. And we were all crammed in there and uh, we had all this uh, uh, makeup and effect stuff, stage blood and doing all this stuff in a tight space. And uh, so that was kind of a difficult one. Uh, but uh, turned out really well. That was probably one of my, I think one of my better pieces of work, that particular story. It's a great film. It really Thank is. You. Yeah. I, I love it. So you, you, I don't know if you believe when I said I was a fan, now you're going, Oh my God, this guy knows too much shit about my films. It's kind of creepy. You have seen some of my movies. <laughs> I've seen a lot of your films. I appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, my girlfriend, I told her I was interviewing. And she's like, oh, God, you're going to geek out. <laughs> That's all she said. <laughs> Lauren, do you have any questions? Because I got a few more before we wrap up, but I'm going to let you jump in because, you know, I'm a nice guy and I let you talk, Lauren. Um, I was just going to ask, is there um, a, a horror film that you'd like to make um, and what? What type of horror film would it be? Would it be a slasher, um, a suspenseful, gothic horror? I would, uh, I'd like to do uh, a slasher, a proper slasher movie. Um, I, I, I was able to uh, write and uh, co-direct uh, a sequel to one of Mark's movies, Return to Splatter Farm, and that turned out to be a, a pretty proper slasher movie. Uh, but of course, that was a sequel to. Uh, a previous movie. I, I have an idea for uh, a slasher movie. I have a, a little bit of a script written. It's based on a character actually in, in one of my, in, in Halloween horror tales. And I'd like to do a, a feature on that based on that. Maybe something set in uh, at a camping location, but uh, something with a twist, not just the, the standard Friday, the 13th style movie. I've done a couple of vampire movies. I might like to do another one of those. They seem to always turn out pretty well, too. <laughs> and, you know, for a guy from, uh, you know, upstate New York, you make a decent vampire. I got to say. <laughs> that was uh, that was an unexpected surprise that I got to play Dracula in uh, the Sharkula movie. I had I had no I, thoughts of ever playing Dracula. And Mark came to me with that script and I read it and. I was thinking originally, who, who am I going to play in this movie? There's, there aren't many characters that would really fit me. And he said, well, why don't you play Dracula? And, and I said, uh, are you sure about that? Usually, you know, Dracula is a uh, uh, a very uh, suave guy with uh, dark features and dark hair, which I'm not. <laughs> and Mark said, oh, no, no, it'll be great. You know, it'll be different. Try it. Give it a shot. And I said, oh, I thought about it. And I said, OK, why not? We'll try it. <laughs> However... Your Dracula did help me win a trivia contest one time. It was oh, in a wow. trivia thing. We were people, and they were talking about named different actors who actually played the character of Dracula. And we got like 20 into it, and everybody was like, we were done. And I'm like, Jeff Kirkendall, which they called bullshit on, and we had to look it up on IMDb, and there you were. 
Well, and I won. So you were the winning trivia question answer. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking that the other day. I was thinking the one cool thing about it is I, I get to be put in these lists. It, when someone comes up a list with a list of Dracula actors, I'm, you know, in there with the, the great people like uh, Christopher Lee and so forth. So <laughs> And so forth. And so forth. Did you just say and so forth instead of Lugosi? Yes, yes. Lugosi. I'm, yes, that's right. Lugosi's, and so uh, forth. Yes. I, I Yes, I. I my no, my, my no. thoughts my thoughts drifted for a moment. No, 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 no. You're just going Christopher Lee because you're trying to kiss Lauren's butt now because she's got the Welsh accent. And you're like, I'm going to impress the chick from overseas by going Christopher Lee instead of Bella Lugosi. Well, I, I have I have watched more Christopher Lee movies. That That is more, more my era. But, uh, you know, Bella Lugosi, of course, is the great one. But uh, but I have a fondness for those Christopher Lee movies. Uh, Horror of Dracula is boy, you can't touch that movie. It's just something. See, Lauren, you foul temptress. <laughs> you, ste- <laughs> you steered the whole thing towards you again. <laughs> How have I? Because of your accent. That's why he said Christopher Lee and not Bella Lugosi. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you can prove that. <laughs> I think people yeah. just, you can rewind. And, <laughs> And you'll he didn't even Lauren, say anything. <laughs> yeah, Lauren will be using like a diabolical mind control to say, "Go with the British one." <laughs> I mean, I mean, wow, Christopher Lee might not even be British. We don't know. That's, That's a good point. That's the mystery of Christopher Lee. He's not Welsh. No, he's not. No, you know who is Welsh though? Tom Jones, coolest um, thing ever to come out of Wales. Jeff, Tom Jones, the coolest thing to ever come out of Wales or no? I uh, I like a lot of Tom Jones songs. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> he does some great covers. He does. <laughs> he does. Coolest thing to come out of Wales, even though the Hoff lives there now. Yeah, that's funny. That's really funny. All right. I'll get to wrap things up because I know I'm keeping you a lot longer than I thought we would. But since you're a first-time guest, we're going to play the speed round where I just ask random questions and they don't have to be about anything we're talking about today. It's just simple questions. You just give an answer. There are no wrong answers unless you get them wrong. At which point I tell you you're wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you ready to play? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll take a go at it. <clears throat> Pluto. Is it a planet or not? Yes. Dracula or Frankenstein who wins in a fight? Uh, I think Frankenstein because uh, he has the the physical presence, the uh, the physical advantage. Okay, you and Mark Polonia, who wins in a fight? Uh, we both uh, we both knock each other out with one punch. That's, 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 <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a good answer or a bad answer, but I'll accept it. <laughs> uh, okay. On a bad day, when, on a bad day when we've been arguing. <laughs> no, we don't argue. <laughs> what? Um. Best catering you've ever had on a film set? Um, well, Maria Polonia's cooking is usually very good. She caters a lot of uh, the movies. I guess cater cooks for a lot of the movies. <laughs> Better accent for a voiceover on a future Kirkendall film. Western New York or Welsh? Hmm. Oh, oh, oh. Boy. Oh, Western New York. There you go. <laughs> I know that's not the real answer, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll accept that. 
question. Uh, I don't even know what question number we're up to. Ah, question, next question. Do you prefer using stock music or actually having a composer work on your films? Um, I prefer a composer. Um, I, we, we have used a lot of stock music in, in a lot of productions because, uh, you know, it's, it's easier. You can buy it quickly and download it. Um, but I, I always like having a composer or working with, uh, musicians, bands. I, I, I shot a I shot a music video with a local uh, singer for uh, the a theater and bikinis movie. It's in over the end credits and it's on the DVD and so forth. That was a lot of fun. And uh, uh, a production that Mark and I just completed a co-production called The Stalking. We uh, went back to uh, working with uh, musicians. Uh, a local uh, a local musician contacted me. He had. Uh, been in a band that did uh, music for my first feature, Terror of the Master, and he contacted me, and he wound up doing all the music for our new movie, The Stalking. So and that, that was great. I I feel good when I can get musicians work in there rather than uh, only put stock music in. You have played Father Banna, um, I believe, four times now. Uh, it's three, three times. Three. Yeah, it would be. Uh, Amityville Exorcism, Amityville in Space, and um, and uh, of course Noah's Shark. Right. Do you ever wear your Father Banna outfit out in public to get better seats at restaurants? No, I haven't done that. Uh, I think. Are uh, you going to try that now that you know you'll probably get better seats? I think Mark kept. I think Mark kept those clothes. I think Mark has my Uh, Father Banna stuff. Uh, I know he has the cross and something else. Maybe that that really cool bowler hat that i wear <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice hat it, it, it works it's pretty suave it is <laughs> <laughs> and i never thought i'd play a priest either that was another thing that's like i said i wouldn't have imagined playing dracula but that was we did amityville exorcism and i thought it was pretty interesting and then i never would have thought there would be two more movies with that character too as well I, i'm telling you it's a great character he should come back. No, well, there is there there have been some rumors about bringing him back for some some movies. So we'll see. I don't know. Uh, in the whole uh, Sharkula, Sharkenstein universe, maybe or Dra- Dracula, whatever. I mean, even if you just film some random stuff like you're doing, like TV ads or, or preaching on television, you can throw them in the background on films just to have like you know cameo appearances by that character would be awesome and pull on your productions because he's a great character. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I'm glad you enjoy it. I, I definitely enjoyed playing that. Uh, it would be uh, it would be pretty neat to bring him back again. Uh, yeah, yeah. We joke about we joke a lot about that character. And um, Mark's son Anthony's always joking that uh, oh everybody around Bennett bites the dust. <laughs> they <laughs> he, do. I, I have a theory that, <laughs> that, that secretly Ben is a serial killer. <laughs> so, but it's been a fun character though, definitely. <laughs> I, uh, I, Anthony's becoming quite a filmmaker on his own, isn't he? Yeah, he's very talented. Uh, yeah, he's directing movies and, you know, of course he's great at special effects. He did, uh, he's done great special effects in a lot of Mark's movies. He did some fantastic stuff in our new movie, The Stalking, really great stuff. I can't wait for people to see it, but yeah, he's, yeah, he's very talented and he has his own vision too. Any word on when we're going to see that? Is it going to go straight to Tubi? Is it going to come out on DVD? Uh... 
Um, we're uh, we're looking into negotiating a distribution deal, and I, I think we're going to get it. Uh, it hasn't been cemented yet, but uh, we're really happy with the movie. It's a real strong movie. Uh, it's our it's our second collaboration, like uh, writing, co-directing after Return to Splatter Farm. Um, Mark has said a couple times he thinks it's better than that one, and that did really well for us. And that was that was a, a movie that stood out because we got a lot of like killer reviews on that one on Return to Splatter Farm. People really responded well to that one. So uh, I have high hopes for this one, too. All right. Next question. We're there in, in Housewatch. Again, one of my favorite films ever. The um, your character eating the beans and having um, flatulence. Too few or too many fart jokes for your taste? Oh, for my particular taste, uh, I'm not a big fan of those type of jokes per personally, but I think it worked really well for the movie. Uh, a lot of people comment about that that scene and those jokes. People seem to really like that. I think there's a couple of gifts on online about that. And uh, farts are funny. Yeah, they did. They worked out really well. And the, yeah, that, that that line about the the beans. I, lo- I love these beans, but they don't always agree with me. And uh, yeah, see, people really seem to like that. There was a, a lot of that crude humor in, in House Squash. That the best part of that is after he says they don't agree with me, and he starts ripping them. The next thing he does is take the other plate of beans and start eating them. Yes, he says, yeah, you you can eat that and eat that. Yeah, that's a crazy movie. It really is. It's a really it is. crazy that's why, movie. That's why I got the sequel in mind. It's a, it's a, it's a dream <laughs> project. Yeah. yeah. Last question. Yes. And this this is the most important one. This is a tough one. All right. This is this is this is harder than the Pluto question. Okay. Will you agree to come back on the show at any time to promote anything or discuss anything you want at any time? I would be honored to be back on. I've had a really good time. I, I appreciate the discussion, and uh, you, you've seen a lot of my movies. That's fantastic. That's it's really great. I appreciate it. I, I am. I'm a huge fan. And Lauren, do you have anything before we sign off? She forgets the mute button, but it's okay, Lauren. Lauren, anything before we sign off? Nope, apparently not. <laughs> Again, folks, Lauren is not being quiet on purpose. Lauren is having internet issues. There's uh, bad weather in Wales, and she's having problems. So she's not. Oh, there she is. Lauren, anything before we sign off? Nope, she's she's quiet again. Jeff, anything you want to say before we sign off? Anything you want to promote? Anything you want to pitch? Anything you want to talk about? Well, again, I'd like to say thank you for having me on the show. I've had a really great time. I, I love uh, talking movies, and it's been yeah, it's been a blast. Uh, um, yeah, our last movie, uh, Mark and I worked on. Uh, it was a co-production called The Stalking. We recently finished it. It's uh, we're working on a distribution deal. It's a killer plant movie, and uh, we are real excited about it. And uh, and uh, I've done a I've done a bunch of more acting parts for Mark. The movies that haven't come out yet, there's a handful uh, that uh, fortunately we can't talk about yet. The distributors like to keep them under wraps, but uh, you'll be seeing some stuff coming out pretty shortly, hopefully. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm for anybody who wants to contact me, I'm on social media, the major platforms, Facebook and Twitter, and uh, joined Instagram recently. 
but uh yeah drop me a note and say hello and uh keep watching the uh and supporting the micro budget movies <laughs> absolutely and we're going to post a link to your website in the description for the show so everybody get on tubi get on freebie look up jeff kirkendall look up mark polonia watch these films you won't regret it you'll have a blast so for the legendary father banna mr jeff kirkendall father ban is a serial killer i'm still convinced of it <laughs> Joining me as always is Lauren in Swansea. This is Brian in Buffalo saying good night. Maybe then he didn't realize he'd actually pooped himself. <laughs>